Welcome back to another episode of Get Psyched, Gen Psyched, an educational podcast where we talk about psychology basics to prepare you for your BS Psych journey. I am your Atibi, together with Philippine Normal University Psychology and Counseling Society, we will discuss emotions. Don't forget to subscribe to PNUPCS social media portals for more updates on our podcast. That's PNU Psychology and Counseling Society on Facebook at PNU Psych Council on Instagram and Twitter. If you like this podcast, go ahead and hit like and subscribe. Let's get started! experience a variety of emotions as we move through our everyday lives. An emotion is a subjective state of being that we usually describe as our feelings. The terms emotion and mood are sometimes used interchangeably, but psychologists use them to refer to two different things. Typically, the word emotion means a subjective affective state that is relatively intense which occurs in response to something we experience. Emotions are often thought to be consciously experienced and intentional. Mood, on the other hand, refers to an extended, less intense, affective state that does not occur in response to something we experience. Mood states may not be consciously recognized and do not carry the intentionality that is associated with emotion. An emotion is a complicated, multi-component episode that creates a readiness to act. An intense emotion has at least six components. Typically, an emotion starts with a cognitive appraisal, a person's assessment of the personal meaning of his or her current circumstances. This appraisal process is recognized as the first component of emotion. In turn, cognitive appraisals trigger a cascade of responses representing other loosely connected components of an emotion. The component that we most often recognize is the emotion's subjective experience, the affective state or feeling tone the emotion brings. A third and closely associated component includes thought and action tendencies, urges to think and act in specific ways. When something sparks your interest, for instance, you want to explore it and learn more about it. When someone angers you, you may be tempted to act aggressively, either physically or verbally. A fourth component includes internal bodily reactions, especially those of the autonomic nervous system, the peripheral nervous system's division that controls the heart and other smooth muscles. For example, when you are afraid, your heart may pound in your chest and your palms may sweat. The fifth component of emotion includes facial expressions, the muscle actions that move facial landmarks in particular ways. When you experience disgust, for example, you probably frown while also raising your upper lip and partially closing your eyes, as if to shut out the smell and sight of whatever offends you. The final component includes responses to emotion, 
meaning how people cope with or react to their own emotions or the situation that elicits it. Again, our emotional states are combinations of physiological arousal, psychological appraisal, and subjective experiences. Together, these are known as the components of emotion. These appraisals are informed by our experiences, backgrounds, and cultures. Therefore, different people may have different emotional experiences even when faced with similar circumstances. The James Lange theory of emotion asserts that emotions arise from physiological arousal. Recall what you have learned about the sympathetic nervous system and our fight-or-flight response when threatened. If you were to encounter some threat in your environment, like a venomous snake in your backyard, your sympathetic nervous system would initiate significant physiological arousal, which would make your heart race and increase your respiration rate. According to the James Lange theory of emotion, you would only experience a feeling of fear after this physiological arousal had taken place. Furthermore, different arousal patterns would be associated with different feelings. Other theorists, however, doubted that the physiological arousal that occurs with different types of emotions is distinct enough to result in the wide variety of emotions that we experience. Thus, the canon-bar theory of emotion was developed. According to this view, physiological arousal and emotional experience occur simultaneously, yet independently. So, when you see the venomous snake, you feel the fear at exactly the same time that your body mounts its fight-or-flight response. This emotional reaction would be separate and independent of the physiological arousal, even if they co-occur. The James Lange and Cannon-Bard theorists have each garnered some empirical support in various research paradigms. For instance, Kalish, Tiner, and Gallagher conducted a study of the emotional experiences of people who had spinal cord injuries. They reported that individuals who were incapable of receiving autonomic feedback because of their injuries still experience emotion. However, there was a tendency for people with less awareness of autonomic arousal to experience less intense emotions. More recently, research investigating the facial feedback hypothesis suggested that suppression of facial expression of emotion lowered the intensity of some emotions experienced by participants. In both of these examples, Neither theory is fully supported because physiological arousal does not seem to be necessary for the emotional experience. But, this arousal does appear to be involved in enhancing the intensity of the emotional experience. The Schachter-Singer two-factor theory of emotion is another variation on theories of emotions that takes into account both physiological arousal and the emotional experience. According to this theory, emotions are composed of two factors, physiological and cognitive. In other words, physiological arousal is interpreted in context to produce the emotional experience. In revisiting our example involving the venomous snake in your backyard, 
The two-factor theory maintains that the snake elicits sympathetic nervous system activation that is labeled as fear given the context, and our experience is that of fear. It is important to point out that Schachter and Singer believe that physiological arousal is very similar across the different types of emotions that we experience, and therefore, the cognitive appraisal of the situation is critical to the actual emotion experience. In fact, it might be possible to misattribute arousal to an emotional experience if the circumstances were right. To test their idea, Schachter and Singer performed a clever experiment. Male participants were randomly assigned to one of several groups. Some of the participants received injections of epinephrine that cause bodily changes that mimic the fight-or-flight response of the sympathetic nervous system. However, only some of these men were told to expect these reactions as side effects of the injection. The other men that received injections of epinephrine were told either that the injection would have no side effects or that it would result in a side effect unrelated to a sympathetic response, such as itching feet or headache. After receiving these injections, participants waited in a room with someone else they thought was another subject in the research project. In reality, the other person was a confederate of the researcher. The confederate engaged in scripted displays of euphoric or angry behavior. When those subjects who were told that they should expect to feel symptoms of physiological arousal were asked about any emotional changes that they had experienced related to either euphoria or anger, depending on how their confederate behaved, they reported none. However, the men who weren't expecting physiological arousal as a function of the injection were more likely to report that they experienced euphoria or anger as a function of their assigned confederate's behavior. While everyone that received an injection of epinephrine experienced the same physiological arousal, only those who were not expecting the arousal used context to interpret the arousal as a change in emotional state. Strong emotional responses are associated with strong physiological arousal. This has led some to suggest that the signs of physiological arousal, which include increased heart rate, respiration rate, and sweating, might serve as a tool to determine whether someone is telling the truth or not. The assumption is that most of us would show signs of physiological arousal if we were being dishonest with someone. A polygraph or light detector test measures the physiological arousal of an individual responding to a series of questions. Someone trained in reading this test would look for answers to questions that are associated with increased levels of arousal as potential signs that the respondent may have been dishonest on those answers. While polygraphs are still commonly used, their validity and accuracy are highly questionable because there is no evidence that lying is associated with any particular pattern of physiological arousal. The relationship between our experiencing of emotions and our cognitive processing of them, and the order in which these occur, remains a topic of research and debate. Lazarus developed the cognitive mediational theory that asserts our emotions are determined by our appraisal of the stimulus. This appraisal mediates between the stimulus and the emotional response. 
and it is immediate and often unconscious. In contrast to the Schachter Singer model, the appraisal precedes a cognitive label. You will learn more about the Lazarus appraisal concept when you study stress, health, and lifestyle. Two other prominent views arise from the work of Robert Sayonks and Joseph Ledoux. Sayonks asserted that some emotions occur separately from or prior to our cognitive interpretation of them, such as feeling fear in response to an expected loud sound. He also believed in what we might casually refer to as a gut feeling, that we can experience an instantaneous and unexplainable like or dislike for someone or something. Ledoux also views some emotions as requiring no cognition. Some emotions completely bypass contextual interpretation. His research into the neuroscience of emotion has demonstrated the amygdala's primary role in fear. A fear stimulus is processed by the brain through one of two paths, from the thalamus, where it is perceived, directly to the amygdala, or from the thalamus, through the cortex, and then to the amygdala. The first path is quick, while the second enables more processing about details of the stimulus. If you want to learn more about the biology of emotions, study further on the limbic system, which is the brain's area involved in emotion and memory. Okay, that is it! I hope you learned something from this podcast. This has been Atibi, your psych buddy, for this episode. For more updates on Get Psych, Gen Psych, remember to follow PNU Psychology and Counseling Society on our social media portals. That's PNU Psychology and Counseling Society on Facebook at PNU Psych Council on Instagram and Twitter. If you like this podcast and haven't hit like and subscribe, it's never too late to do so. Thank you and happy learning!